All right, friends, welcome to the Color of Money podcast. We have a very special guest with us here today. Please allow me to introduce to you Mr. Ryan Butler himself. Now, if you are from the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area on the East Coast and you know exactly who Ryan Butler is, he is part of a trio, the trio we call the Coalition Properties Group. Uh, They have been selling real estate. They joined forces and collectively over the last four years have sold over 1,100 homes with over 500 million in closed volume. Um, That means they have taken home $13.6 million in commission. And most importantly, Ryan's going to talk to us about their charitable givings and their charitable contributions of over a million dollars as well. Uh, I am joined, of course, with my wonderful co-host, Mr. Emmerich Peace. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ryan, we are just so excited to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Coalition Properties Group. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Excited to be on the pod. And um, a little bit about myself. That's a good, You didn't ask me that question ahead of time. That's a good question. Um, so I'm just a little country boy out of Mississippi. Made it up to the big city in Washington, D.C. Uh, graduate of uh, Georgetown University. Uh, I have an engineering degree background, but I made my way over to real estate. So I've been in real estate some form since 2011 when I bought my first home. And um, after that, man, I was I was gun ho about it and eventually found my way into um, the real estate sales business with uh, Keller Williams in 2016. Uh, it's my first love. I never, never been with another broker. So all I know is KW. Um, so since 2016, I've been I've been with Keller Williams and um, out here just helping families, helping friends, helping the people I love uh, and really uh, just being an ambassador of real estate. Now, like I mentioned, one of the special things about you is this these other guys that you met uh, and you all formed the coalition group. Tell me about these other guys and your team, Coalition Properties Group. Yeah, so uh, actually, um, so I have two partners, Harrison Beecher and Keith James. And Harrison and I go as far back as someone my age can go pretty much. But uh, we met in college at uh, 18 and uh, he played football and I played the bench, but we were on the team together. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, and so that's when our friendship began, and we actually started throwing events in college together. So when we were nineteen, we started throwing events, having parties on campus, and that was the that's the first time we made money together. So we've been making money together for a long time, and uh, and and since then we kind of brought that same energy, that same vibe to our team, Coalition Properties Group. Harrison came to KW. I I asked him where should I go. He fired me three times. He fired me as a as a client, twice he fired me as a realtor. He wouldn't even let me be on his team. I tried to join his team. He said no, but it's all good, Harrison. I had to plug that little story <laughs> in right there so people, so we have that on record of what happens. Uh, <laughs> and then I became the rookie of the year for KW Maryland DC in 2017. After that, um, during that year, I actually met Keith James, my other partner. Met him at an event from actually one of our future clients. So I met him at the event, and at the event, we found out a couple things. One, we're both from Mississippi, which is rare that you see. It's, we don't, uh, our hometown don't leave home much. And, and, and <laughs> in addition to that, we're both part of the, the greatest fraternity in the world, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And so uh, that kind of kindled our friendship, and he became my client. 
So Keith James, you know, the famous Keith James was Ryan Butler client at one point. I just want to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) But then he got his license. I encouraged him to get his license. I said, hey, man, I think you're going to do really well in this business. And so I encouraged him to get a license. He got licensed. And then after that, man, we kind of looked at each other a couple years later and said, man, we should probably do something. It's time to do something together because we figured that, you know, we could travel much further together than we could by ourselves. We can make a stronger impact. We could have um, both on our families, both on the community. And so that was the, the impetus of it all with our mission statement being to be the bridge to our community for all things real estate, lifestyle and wealth building. And so that is the basis, the platform that we use that everything else has been built on top of. And this week, uh, all three of y'all were named uh, amongst America's top 1% of black real estate agents. Uh, and you, know, you saw that, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was really exciting. We got named uh, top 1% um, with you know, my part, you know, two of my partners, Keith being number one and Harrison being number three. And then uh, in addition to that, we were also named the num- number one team in D.C. per Real Trends this week as well. So okay, it's been a pretty big week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty big week. Yeah. Congratulations. Look at that. Brothers collabing. And look what happened. You said you go further together than if you were doing it by yourselves. I love everything about that. Now, we're here today to talk about owning real estate, um, which we know that you own a lot of. Um, and so we're going to ask you some questions, if you don't mind, helping our listeners understand why and how they too should own some real estate. Um, I'll start first and then I'll let Emra jump in, but I I just wanna know first and foremost, why? Why should people own real estate? What are some key advantages of owning real estate? Well, the first advantage advantage to me, and I've always been, uh, I've always preached this particular one, it's gonna be a little different than what most people think about. It's actually a defensive mechanism. It's a way to protect yourself. Real estate is a protector first and foremost. If you look at the the highest expenses that you have when you retire, there's there's two that come to mind right away, right? One is going to be healthcare, and the other is going to be where you live. And healthcare is not going away. That's going to be expensive. You're going to have to. I, that's not my expertise. But on the real estate side, I do know that after 30 years of paying a mortgage you're able to not no longer have a mortgage or owe anybody any money. So your cost of living from the expense standpoint goes down drastically. So to me, that's first and foremost. And I've just seen it over and over again. I work with uh, a lot of uh, people who are aging out of their homes and you look at what's important to them. It's like having a place that they don't have to pay a lot of expenses. And then the second thing is once you get somewhere around three or homes, that can really be a strong supplementation to your retirement when, you, when you're when you older. And that's a lot of money that can come into that that can really take care of you, even if you made a whole bunch of other mistakes, if you saved no money, you had no 401k, none of that stuff, right? If you had all of that, I'm not saying it will fix all your problems, but man, it will sure make a big dent and can really help take care of you in your, um, in your older age. You know, and I like that, Ryan, because I, I say something similar. I say, after you pay your mortgage, worst come to worst, if all you got was, was Social Security and that's all you had to live on, Social Security will pay your property taxes and it'll pay your insurance and your utilities. And, and you can have basic living at least 
if you had to add a mortgage payment onto that, or I should say a rent payment onto that, it can't happen that way. So I, I like the way you think. I like the way you think. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's, it'd be a tough spot to be honest with you. Yeah. When did you buy your first home? Bought my first home in 2011. So how old was I? I was somewhere around like 24, 25. Right so what motivated you to, to to look into that and then moreover start actually investing in real estate? Yeah, honestly, when I was a kid, um, there's two things I wanted to be. One was a laparoscopic surgeon uh, since I was second grade. And the second one was to own a bunch of real estate. And that's since I was a young kid. Um, I had, you know, obviously you don't know anything with what that even really means at that age. But I had a teacher who had a son who was a laparoscopic surgeon, one of the most famous ones in the world, and from this podunk little town, Moorhead, Mississippi. I'm and, trying to figure out what second grader even knows what a laparoscopic surgeon is. <laughs> well, funny enough, when they explained it to me, I knew what it was. It's like they made micro uh, holes. And this was like new. Nowadays, everyone does it. But it's like instead of opening up your whole body to go in and get out, say, like gallbladder stones or something like that, they would make like little small insertions. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be such a major uh, and they use cameras and all those types of things. So that was kind of new in the like 2000s. That was the thing. So I said, yeah, I wanted to do that. And uh, the second thing was I had a cousin who uh, from St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, he was flipping 10 homes a month. And I kind of saw that somewhere around, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade in that in that age. And I I saw him doing that, uh, particularly around that boom town. Like, you know, 2000, was that 2005, 2000, mm-hmm. 2004, when things like really booming with the flips and stuff like that. I saw him doing that. And I was like, man, that's the two things I want to do right there. I want to do those two things. So for so where'd you get the money from? So, oh, no, when I actually bought the first home. Yeah. So the motivation came from that. When I bought the first home, I'm I'm just a person just like everybody else. I use NACA. <laughs> <laughs> so Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, that's how I bought my first home. And I bought that home. Um, what's great about NACA is they force you to do really good habits. So they force you to save money, basically. And then you don't have to use it. So then you now you have a house and the money you save. And that was kind of how I got into my, my first home. And so that money that I saved let me go pretty quickly to the second home. Because I now I had some money that I didn't use from the first one. And I was renting out the rooms. I went from paying $600 a month to my uh, my college teammate for rent to netting almost $2,000 a month for my house uh, after the mortgage by renting out the rooms. And I stayed in the little room and I rent out all the big ones. But I was like, man, I'm I'm making an extra two grand a month. And I had an, I finally you got were a, house hacking before people knew what house hacking was. You no, know, and I was using Airbnb. So I was using Airbnb to fill it in before that was wow. big too. So I was kind of, I was on the cutting edge of all of this uh, <laughs> technology and stuff they use these days. And then in addition to that, I mean, I had a nice salary job, you know, make coming out working technology. So that, that was not too bad as well. So now I'm making six figures as a, as a young, you know, punk kid. And I thought I was the man. I thought I was the man. And unfortunately, when you think you are the man, and you start making D-man decisions. So <laughs> I, start, <laughs> I start, you start making D-man decisions. So after that, I was like, man, let me go get some more houses. So I bought four homes over like the next 18 months. And I was got really aggressive with it. 
I used my money that I was saving for my job. Like I was still living like I was in college. Um, and I got money from friends and family and I started buying homes and flipping it. So um, that was like a three year period where I was doing that. And I did really, really well in the beginning. And then I did not. And I lost a, a whole shirt, as they call it. So I lost a shirt, six figure sum. And I paid everybody back. I lost it. But paid everybody back. Everybody got their money back with the interest. And so that was actually the foundation on which some of my current investments work because those same people still invested with me because they knew I was going to pay them back no matter what happened. So and you, when you talk about owning, just and you, the way that you did that, what are some of the misconceptions about owning real estate? And then just how would you address them? Some of the misconceptions about owning real estate is that there's always a uh, conversation around rent versus own. And right. even with all of that, that people are like, well, you know, maybe renting is better in your place or not. And you might be right. But I think there's three ways you can win in real estate. You can win with the price that you buy it at. So if you buy it at a discount. Right. You can win on the construction. So if you're able to add value to a home by renovating it and now it's worth more sweat equity, you also hear that term, right? So you put some sweat right. equity in. And then I also think you can win by financing. So if you get really favorable financing, I think that's also a win. You know, even if you're buying a home at retail price, which most people do, if you don't have to put that much money into it and you can afford the payments, you're winning because you're able to still keep a lot of money in your pocket. So that's my perspective on that. And and so when you look at that, like um, what critical factors does somebody consider when evaluating a potential real estate, either investment purpose, purchase or uh, owner-occupied purchase? Yeah, well, owner-occupied is easy. You make sure you can afford the payment. <laughs> so don't, you know, don't, don't get in there and trying to um, spend all of your money, what they say that you, because we know how the banks let you um, let the pre-qualifications go, the pre-approvals go. So you want to make something that makes sense for you. Don't spend half your money and be house poor. I think that's a bad, I think that's a terrible idea. So um, make sure that What's you have- house poor? Well, that's when you got a big house and everything is great and you can't af even afford to put furniture in it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh, I don't think that's a good idea uh, for me personally, but some people do it. But I think that's uh, I don't think that's the best financial idea to, to use right there. So it makes more sense to have a, a manageable and reasonable mortgage payment because you also have other expenses that's going to come anyway. Right. In addition to principal, interest, taxes, insurance, you're also going to have uh, maintenance costs that comes up, cutting the grass, all types of little things that you have to do to maintain a home. And you don't want to spend all your money and not have any savings at the end. So for somebody who's listening to you talk about how you got all these properties and you started buying properties and you started financing using neighborhood assistance programs and things like that, um, what kind of financing advice could you give somebody who might be looking at buying some investment property when they have limited capital? Well, you want the truth or the truth? We, right? This is a show about the truth. We, don't, <laughs> we want the truth want, and the truth. We want the real yeah. truth and the truth. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, when you're buying a home for the first time, 
there are all these programs right now, particularly in our area. But like, if you're not like, why wouldn't you use NACA, right? If you don't have, if you have limited funds, why would you not use a program like NACA that where you don't have to bring any funds to the table? It's basically zero out of pocket, maybe fifteen hundred bucks, something like that. So my first question is, why wouldn't I use that? The second question is, say you get that home and now you're looking to do other investments. My question to you is, how can you increase your income so that it's easier to buy these investments? So either you have to increase your income to buy your investments where you are. You have to. There's only three options. Or you go check a different location that's more affordable for the prices you're looking at. If you have less have less savings or money to put towards the deal. So maybe you have to go to, I don't know, Missouri or Tennessee mm-hmm. to get your deals. You wouldn't be you the ta- first person to do that. You talked about losing your whole shirt, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. on a on a previous podcast, and I, I I've I've also lo- I lost my shirt, pants, the, the hat, the shoe, all of that too before. So, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I think that's a common thing. Yeah, I think we had a conversation thing. on a previous podcast about um, people who are risk averse. Uh, which that w- that resulted in me being risk averse. And Daniel Dixon, our other our other co-host, he talked about how he don't mind going to Vegas. And I said I played bingo one time and never played again. Right? Like so. For <laughs> yeah. for we had a conversation about the mindset of the wealthy and about being risk averse. How do you manage the risk that's associated with owning real estate, such as when the market shifts or or property maintenance or tenant related issues like my tenant called me yesterday she want a whole new ac you know okay. uh, how do you manage these kind of, of risks that are associated with with owning real estate well i think um i think wealthy people have an aversion to risk as well i'm not wealthy by any means but i think that um just from the real estate that i've done or the the investments that i've done i don't like taking big risks either because it's still my money so i don't want to do that uh, so I think it's important to note that. But there's a difference between having aversion to risk and taking no risk at all. Um, and in fact, I would even argue it's a bigger risk to not take these calculated risks versus um, like just sitting and doing nothing with the money because then the money won't grow. So you're you, the, it's when you don't know who your demons are. And so for me, I understand that inflation is killing every day is killing my money and so unless i put it in an investment my money's not breathing but when my money is at home it's like when it's in the bank and it's not getting much inflation's just killing it just chopping it away a little piece by piece and so if you don't have an understanding of economics and how the system works and what the government wants you to do you'll be at a disadvantage for the decision making you you'll have because you don't realize that you're losing. So it sounds like you you I mean you mentioned that you have a degree in computer science from Georgetown of all places and you're a pretty educated guy, right? Uh, for people who maybe well, let me ask it differently. Do you think that there are certain qualities or skills that are essential to someone being a real estate investor uh, or that they need to is a certain type of person or can anyone do this? I think anyone can do it, but I also think you have to be a certain type of person. I think it's both. Um, and I would say that it's probably easier to do it when you're a little bit younger and your, your legs a little bit fresher and you can go up there and, and take those calls and everything like that and um, put some put a lot of sweat equity into this stuff. 
And then when you get older, you just kind of want your money to start working for you without having to do as much because you want to spend the time that you have. And so what happens is both of those people actually work really well together. And so when you are younger, you have to go get money from the big dogs. I got to call Emmerich and ask for a little something to go get this house. (laughs) I got to call him and ask for a little something. So, hey, man, let me get a little something. I got a deal. I think this deal can work. Um, are you interested? And he says, sure, man, as long as you give me my money back plus some. And and that's how those types of partnerships really work. And so that can work whether it's, you know, you finding a deal. That can work whether you're just doing group economics and, hey, I got five, you got five, you got five, you got five, you got four people got 20. And you can go up, you know, my area, you can go up to Baltimore or whatever, and you'll you'll get get your first home. And then you so let that that's a great point. You said you found a deal, so you called Uncle Emmerich, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But how do you know when you found a deal? What are the critical factors that you consider when evaluating whether or not a particular real estate investment is a good investment? Well, I think the for me personally, everybody kind of has different philosophies. But for me, um, if you do a down payment and a closing cost and you do all this stuff, and then you get the mortgage and you get the taxes, insurance, property management, and you get all these expenses, right? And you you see what this expense is every month. The number one thing for me to, to even look at it and see if this makes sense is, does my cash flow, does the rent I'm getting cover all my expenses plus some? If my cash flow doesn't cover all of those expenses, I don't even look at those types of deals. Because that just mathematically doesn't make sense. I don't want to go in a hole every month for a property. And I got a whole bunch of other expenses already. So I don't want to add that on top of what I'm doing already. So for you, the key component is that it needs to cash flow. Because some people are like, I'm not that worried about cash flow. If the cap rate is the right cap rate and if the numbers make sense. But for you, it needs to actually cash flow. Yeah, it needs to cash flow for me. And, you know, and... Maybe not like right, right away. Maybe I have to do a little bit of work on the property and increase the value, right? Or I might, um, the cash flow is just the base solid piece of it. Like I can trust it. I can trust it. The other things you start doing is when you start making calculated risks. Because I might say, all right, I know the interest rates. And I, I don't know anything, but I believe that the interest rates are going to go down right. in the next 18 months. So I might take a little bit negative cash flow for a couple months because I got a deal where the equity was good in there. And then I'll refinance the property and now I'll really be cash flowing on this property. So yeah, talk to and, us about what you're Oh, go ahead, Emmer. Go ahead, Emmer. No, 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 I was gonna, so really um, what I'm hearing you say is you can't be risk adverse in this space and you can't have analysis paralysis you have to really take a look at the numbers and make a decision. Either you're going to pull the trigger and do it or you're going to leave it alone. Yeah, I think um, that's a part of it. Right. And in all of this, just make sure you have a good team. Make sure you have good people around you. If you're in real estate, you know, go to your favorite realtor investor or somebody you trust to put their eyes on this deal you have and, and get some feedback on it. If so when you say in- you have a good team, what do you mean by that? Right. If I'm just well, an, the average person who's listening to this podcast and I'm like, I want to buy some real estate. You're saying have a good team. Where do I find those people? Yeah, I think if you're an average person, I think the first thing is you want to start working on not being average anymore. And I say, <laughs> that, I say that with all earnest, like honesty, and right? Because um, if you're going to be average, you're going to get average results. 
And right. you don't have to be. That's you don't actually have to be average in this because this real estate thing is not rocket science. So you can actually be become really good at this. And it doesn't take like a whole ton of time, like years and years and years before you become good. You can become good fast depending on how you build your team. So it's just like anything else. If you had um, if you were playing basketball and your point guard wasn't that good and you got to get a new point guard. So if you got to if you don't have a good accountant, if you don't have a good lawyer, if you don't have a good general contractor, if you don't have a good realtor, if you don't have a good banker. Like all these people play a role in the deals that you do, and they all need to be good. And you need to be constantly upgrading them to make sure that, you know, you're getting as you get better, they need to get better too. And if they don't they don't hit the line, if they don't really fit with getting better after a while, you're gonna have to find someone that fits where you currently are in your life. And so when and when you say that, and that comes to this question, it's like uh are there specific lessons or insights that you've gained from real estate investment experiences that you'd like to share with listeners? Because that that's a big deal right there. Yeah, I think um, for me, the biggest lesson is um, get someone experienced on your team, even if you got to pay them. Even if you got to pay them some money, they got to get part of the deal. You know, all these realtors and their commissions. It's like, yeah, you cannot do that. And... <laughs> <laughs> and then take on a sucky deal and you don't even know it because no one's there to protect your interest. Um, so you really have to, you're going to have to pay for it. You can pay for it with time or you can pay for, pay for it with money. You get to choose. But um, to that, so that my point is you got to pay for it. The second piece of that is use the, I believe the best way to win in America with real estate is to take advantage of the financing. And so the fact that you can do 0% down product or, um, and, and buy a property with 0% down and then go back again and buy something with 3.5% down and then go back again and buy something with 5% down. I mean, you didn't put a lot of money to just buy three pieces What's of real estate. What's a 0% down financing product? So uh, Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, y'all going to hear me say that one. Y'all going to get tired of me saying that one. Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, NACA.com. That's how I bought uh -huh. my first home. That's how many of my clients buy homes. Now, that's I say that one because I know that's a national program, and you right. can find it anywhere in the country. Now, you're going to have different local programs and government grants and, and loans and that type of thing. That'll be local to your, to your location, mm -hmm. but... This program, NACA.com, is national. So you can use that anywhere. Anywhere. What about like crowdfunding? I know some don't you don't you and your and your guys, don't y'all put your money together and crowdsource some some money to buy a property? Yeah. So um I believe in group economics. Because after you can't do it yourself, you gotta go to somebody. That's fundamentally what group economics is to me. And if you can't do it by yourself ever, then you just need to go to go with somebody. So um, in, in essence, we brought our money together and we started buying properties. Now, the bigger the properties, the more friends and family we had to bring in, bring in to buy these properties. So when we buy a 100-unit building or you know a 68-unit building, that's millions of dollars we have to bring to the table. And um, yeah, I don't have that. I don't, <laughs> I don't have millions and millions of dollars to just go in out there and buy real estate. So what happens is... Um, we call Uncle Emmerich, 
right? I call Ankh, I call my friends, I call my family, and we bring our funds together to buy this real estate. Because um, it's what you actually find out is like after a while, there's most people don't own real estate. And then there's a group of people that own one piece of real estate. And then there's a smaller group that owns two pieces and three pieces. At some point, if you have a W-2 job, if you have a, a demanding business, managing all of this real estate can become pretty difficult. And so at some point, people want to still invest in real estate without having to do all of the management. And so that's what we've been syndicating. It's called syndication. We've been syndicating deals together, um, SEC compliant, and getting monies, fund, you know, essentially fundraising these money or, or uh, you know, bringing money together and buying properties together. So I sent you an email, Ryan, with a property that was like $2 million. And I said, Ryan, if me and my team wants to go in on buying it, what's the first step we should do? And you sent me an email back and said, Make sure you ask for rent rolls. And I'm like, bro, that is not the answer I was looking for. I'm saying, like, how do we get started? Well, how do we get know, started? <laughs> but, but, but you know see, what? That's the, if, you, if you don't get that, then it's no start. You don't even have to waste yeah. your energy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I mean, how do we get the money together to buy a $2 million property? Right. So, like, my answer was, my answer was based on, um, I know you had the question you wanted to ask me, but I gave you the answer you needed. <laughs> and, and sometimes that frustrates people because that's not the answer you wanted, but it was the answer you needed. The answer you needed was go see what the rents were to even decide whether you want to start this process. Because you're going to start a process of buying this property. You don't know if it's good or not. Right. So right I, can't, okay. I, can't, I can't advise you to, to do all these other things and I don't even know if the property is good. So... Your next, your next step should have been like, sure, Ryan, I'll get the rent rolls and bring them to you, and then you can. I help was me. like, maybe he don't understand my question. Let me rephrase. <laughs> hey, Julia, that's that's like setting a wedding date before you go on the first date. <laughs> that's fair. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, now to your point, what do you have to do? Well, you have to understand the um, how money works. You have to understand how money works. And when you buy a property, who are going to be your money partners? So generally, most people think about the bank first, and I agree. So you need a banking relationship. That's the first one. If you don't have a banking relationship, again, none of this other stuff matters. <laughs> none of this other stuff matters. So you need a banking relationship. And when you say banking relationship, you're talking more than just where my check-in account is at the local Wells Fargo or whatever. What's a banking relationship? Yeah, a commercial banking relationship. So you okay. you need to um, you need to have a relationship with a commercial lender. Okay. And that's a, a conversation in and of itself because there's so many different uh, types of commercial properties. So that means there's different type of commercial lenders. Different banks focus on certain certain types. So maybe the bank like a local bank yeah you can use them but if you if your loan is above i don't know pick a random number 10 million they don't really get down with those types of deals so you have to go to another bank that will do those larger deals so you have to know what your bank's tolerance is what their preferences are they're kind of like almost like people a little bit in that sense it's like i won't do that deal but i'll do this deal sure. so you have okay. to find the relationships with the commercial brokers and banks um, to 
to figure out like what the financing situation is going to be. Okay, so I'm taking notes here. I got number one, banking relationship. Number two, what's that? Well, number two is once you have the banking relationship and you have to decide like, all right, is this money that that I'm going to bring to the table myself? Am I buying this deal on my own? Do I have the funds and savings to take this deal down? If I don't, then how am I going to do that? And there's only three types of I, I've broken this down myself personally into basically three types of deals. There's deals you do by yourself. There's deals you do with somewhere between one and kind of four other partners. And then there's deals where you have to use the official syndication model, which is SEC compliant. You have to be SEC compliant documentation. So that's when you hire a lawyer to um, to build out these docs that you can use, that your investors have to sign off on and understand what, what's going on there. So that's basically like um, you do it yourself, you do a joint venture. So the second one is a joint venture. These are just uh, adventures with other people, right? A business ventures with other people. And then the third one's a syndication. So how many properties do you own, Ryan? Number of properties? I think it's seven or eight properties but um my preference is around apartment building so the, yeah. the number of properties are usually not going to be as many um, right so we talk in terms of doors how many doors do you own all right doors is somewhere around 250 250 yeah and, that's and been what about two years so so then how do you being that are some of them single family multifamily like how do you uh diversify your real estate portfolio so I diversify my real estate portfolio. They're all multifamily, actually. Um, and then I'm not against the diversification of real estate, but I'm also really good at multifamily real estate. So part of it is if I want to be, um, I'm going to get the highest return from doing what I do best. So I'm going to spend a lot of time and energy and investments in the multifamily space. Now, there's a couple of other things I wanted to ask you, going back to where you talked about community, right? And what your team does with donations. And you have a podcast as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a podcast, me and my partners. It's called uh, All Blends Perfectly. And what so, do y'all talk about on All Blends Perfectly? Yeah, we talk about um, real estate, lifestyle, wealth building. Um, and that's from our mission statement, to be the bridge to our community for all things real estate, lifestyle, wealth. And in addition to that, you know, we also bring in, we also have discussions. So, for example, we talk about food, we talk about travel, we talk about fatherhood, family, all the things that's important to us as we try to navigate this, this, uh, this life, but also navigate this real estate business that kind of brought us together. So we'll make sure that our listeners have a link uh, to your podcast in the show notes here that they can click on and hear what y'all talking about. And I brought up community because I know a lot of the conversations that you all have is about community. Talk to us a little bit about the community and about that $1 million in, uh, in, in charitable donations that you've given. Yeah, so um, a big part of our, um, our platform baseline is how we get back to the community. And one of the ways we do that, of course, is time. We give back through education and, and the space that we are best, which is real estate. And um, we also help with 
um, the facilitation of charitable givings. And so in the last four years, we facilitated over $1 million in charitable givings to different organizations. And that's a combination of us, our own funds, our clients, you know, pitching in and really, really leaning into this. In fact, a lot of times the, the charitable uh, organizations that we work with, we get them from our clients because we want to we we believe in the things our people believe in. So if you if you're something passionate about some type of charity, OK, great. I, I want to support you. So we're going to support you in that charity. And then um, leaning on corporations to and, and other vendors to bring in and match do donation matching. So we spent a lot of time kind of building out a little system. And over years, we've been able to do some pretty cool things. Cool. So um, can you share any upcoming projects or specific goals that you're working on? Yeah, upcoming projects. Um, so, you know, we have the podcast. So that's um, that's something that uh, we're really kind of putting some energy towards. We also say it's a little bit of our therapy session. It's a chance for us to get together and just um, feel good and and bring people into the conversations that we have amongst ourselves already. And now we're just putting the audio and video on there. So you guys can see a little bit of insight on how uh, the, the managing partners of coalition can operate and think and just being our, our, our authentic selves and, you know, not trying to put up this, this buffer and all these things. We're just showing you like a real true, honest insight there. Um, other than that, um, we are, we just completed, we just closed on a property a couple weeks ago. So we just bought a 29 unit apartment building in Baltimore. So if someone, people are interested in what does that look like on investing, uh, investing platform, you can definitely get in touch with me about that. And uh, I have a website that you can, that you can check out is investwithryanbutler.com. We put that in the show notes and there you can have act, you'll get information and see how I run these deals. Cool That's is, what I was trying to do, Ryan. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying I, to use my resources and my network, and I was trying to invest with Ryan Butler. And he was like, "Hey, get the get the get the pay, rent, rent rent payrolls." Yeah, well, I still I still need that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I still need so I was it. Trying to <laughs> um, so and, you, you go to investwithryanbutler.com. You'll see some of my past deals. You'll see how deals operate, and just get a feel. It's a way for you to start learning. Uh, about this game, investment games for passive investments. Yeah. I love it. Now, now you just actually had a show on your po podcast about passive versus active investments. Yeah, yeah. What was the key highlight of that that you think is important for our listeners to know about owning real estate? Yeah, I think the key is just kind of knowing where you are in life. And, you know, if you got more energy and you got more time, then you can be more active. But if I'm 70 years old, I'm not trying to manage a whole bunch of real estate. So I want some really passive investments. I want to be hopefully hanging out with my grandkids, flying around the world and, and doing all that stuff and not worried about toilets and plumbing and stuff like that. Right. But if I'm young and broke, you best believe I'm out here hustling, trying to get more assets that will throw off the cash flow so I can build a life for me and my family that I want. All right, Brian, what's the, this is the last question. What's the one thing you want our listeners to leave today with about you and about owning real estate? Um, 
about me about uh, learning real estate, I would say that just knowing my personal mission, my personal mission is to be the most impactful person I can be while I'm here on this earth. And what that looks like to me is inspiring people to be the best version of themselves and to go out and do what they need to do and just inspiring them to be greater and then creating opportunities for people. And that means my world has to be big enough for the opportunities for people to come into my world and want to stay. And so that's why we're building out coalition properties with the way we are, um, because we're a partnership people. We partner with people. That's how we look at life. And so we want people to to partner with us across the across the country as we continue to take this mission that we have and that we really believe in. And I, we know that a lot of other people have the same values and the same mission as well. So we'd love to partner with people across the country who'd be interested in taking these values on Coalition Properties Group of being a bridge to our community for all things real estate, lifestyle, and wealth building. Well, of course, that's why we had you on this podcast today, because that's what we are striving to do is be exactly that for our community to help people learn more so they can earn more. And, And we believe wealth building does come through real estate and entrepreneurship. Ryan, it has been a pleasure having you on this podcast. Emrick, anything you'd like to say before we cut out today? Yeah, there is. There's one big thing. You know, I'm like super inspired by Ryan Keith and, and Beecher. I just am. I, I am. I'm, and I'm inspired by them because when you get three young cats that drop their egos and come and form a group together and say, this is what we can do in the collective, I think that's super powerful. And I'm going to give a confession that most people don't know. This is, and this is the, this is the truth. About a year and a half, about, about two years ago, I was getting ready to call y'all to see how I could join Coalition Properties Group. Because <laughs> I'm just telling you, I was so inspired. I was like, I like that right there. Them young brothers are on it. And, you know, it's just a great place. It's great for you guys. And that's my public declaration. And I tell anybody that because you guys just inspire other people a different way and you don't even know it. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you. Well, you're welcome at any time, brother. We can have that combo <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. And tune in right. next week for our next episode of The Color of Money. Bye, y'all. Bye, thank y'all. you. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Follow The Color of Money podcast today and get notified when new episodes are released weekly. Be part of this transformative listening experience. 